Good morning, everybody. Thank you. It's pretty long, huh? It's a pretty big passage. I think I know most of you here. I've been here for a quick minute, but for those that I do not know, my name is Bo Pruitt. I'm a, yep, yep. My name is Bo Pruitt. I wanted to hear the whoop again, but it's all right. I'm a pastoral apprentice. My wife and I moved here about a year ago. And I'm, I'm just really excited to be here this morning. Uh, I'm excited because I have the privilege to preach uh, the second sermon in our new sermon series over the I Ams in the Gospel of John. And I'm getting actually to follow up under one of my best buddies, Matt, who did an excellent job at setting us up last week. He did an excellent job of telling us what the I Ams are, uh, the purpose of them, and particularly why they're important for Christians to study. Why they're important to Christians to study, namely, so that we can know Christ. So that we may know Christ. The unknowable has been made known in the coming of the Son. Jesus Christ, the fullness of God, the fullest revelation of God is who we look at to know who God is and what he's like. The I am's then are God's chosen expressions of himself. For some peculiar reason, the Lord has chosen to use particular words and metaphors to represent himself to us so that we might know him. And today we get to look at one of those together. Today we get to look at John 6 that was just read, uh, particularly the I am where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. As I was preparing uh, and praying about this sermon, um, I, my mind was gu- guided back to some words that, I've, that I heard really a long time ago and I haven't read in quite a while. Uh, they're from C.S. Lewis's Way to Glory, uh, which if you haven't read, is excellent. Lewis has a way of articula- articulating and uh, expressing the inexpressible. He is able to put words to things that everyone has felt, but no one has really been able to put words to. In The Way of Glory, Lewis says that uh, all of mankind, everyone, regardless of where you're from and what you like, was made for heaven. Every single individual was made for a place where they haven't yet been. Thus, if you're made for a place that you haven't been to, there is something in you that desires to be where you were made to be, where you were made to, re- to, to reside. There's a hunger, if you will, a something that just floats just above your reach. We're heaven haunted. He describes this by saying, if we are made for heaven, the desire for our proper place will already be in us, but not yet attached to the true object. And will even appear sometimes as a rival to that object. So if we were made for heaven, but we've never been there, 
and we desire it in every aspect of our life and it's floating right above our reach, then we are going to try to grasp it. We are going to try to satisfy our hunger, to scratch the itch, if you will. But often, what we use to fulfill ourselves or attempt to actually runs counter to the very thing in which we long for most. We attempt to fulfill and satisfy ourselves with things that are fleeting, that are more finite than we are, drink and sex, ambition, achievement, clothing, food, experience. Lewis portrays this really well by providing an image. And this image has stuck with me since I first heard it when I was 18 years old. He writes, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We have a hunger. We have a desire. We feel it just floating right above us. And often, in an attempt to grasp something that is... uh, ungraspable, if you will, attempt to fulfill and satisfy ourselves like an ignorant child in the slums making mud pies because he can't imagine what the offer of a holiday at sea even means, what it could be like. And we see a similar response to this hunger, the hunger that we all feel in John 6, in Jesus's interaction with the crowd that follows him to Capernaum. Jesus, in response, offers reorientation and an offer of salvation. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to John 6. John 6. You can put your finger on verse 25. We'll we'll, we'll come to there in a moment. But I got to say, y'all, we got a lot of text to cover. We got a lot of text to cover. And so it can be easy to get lost. So I don't want to miss out on, on really the most important part of this passage. The most important part, the main idea that everything else revolves around is the I am statement. It is that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. If you get lost, that's where we are. That's what we're talking about. And we're going to do this uh, by kind of looking at three major moves in the text in this long dialogue with Jesus. The first being that God provides bread. Jesus talks about how God provides bread. The second is that Jesus himself is the bread of life. And lastly, we'll conclude, we'll conclude that we are actually invited to partake in the bread of life. That's the final move that Jesus talks about. So with that, because the entirety of this passage revolves around the statement, I am the bread of life, it's important to understand what Jesus is even saying when he says that. More more specifically, why he uses bread. Why this metaphor? Why this object? It's important to look back in order to understand this rightly because bread 
does not appear for the first time in John 6 as an object that takes place in God's interaction with mankind. You see, bread appears in relation to God's work with his people starting in Exodus 16. A month and a half has passed. The Israelites have been liberated from Egypt. They have seen the miracle of God, the splitting of the Red Sea. And a month and a half later, they find themselves in the desert of sin, hot, hungry, and annoyed. Hot, hungry, and grumpy, rather. And they begin to grumble. They begin to grumble against God, questioning his goodness, questioning their livelihood even, thinking that maybe they have been brought into the desert to starve. The Lord hears their faithlessness and responds in graciousness. He sends down day after day after day bread from heaven called manna. It's white and flaky like coriander seed. It tastes of wafers and honey. And every day they are to go and gather what they need. The only day where they don't is the Sabbath day. They rest on that. But even then, the Lord provides for them, allowing them to take a double portion on the sixth day. So on the seventh day, they could stay in and feast. So they can enjoy and remember who God is and what he has done. Exodus 16 concludes with the Lord commanding Moses to take an omer, which is just a small amount of this manna, and to put it in a jar and to keep it for future Israelites so they could look at it and remember who God is and what he has done. Specifically, that God provides bread for his people. God provides bread for his people. And I want to note that for us, food and bread has a very uh, unique connotation. Like, we in the West, especially we in the city, have a really strange understanding of food. Food is not sustenance. Food is enjoyment. Food is, uh, am I going to get Asian fusion or do I want to try this new experimental something or another where they make the lights impossible to see anything and I'm just tasting, you know, who knows what. That, like, that's food to us. It's experience. It's enjoyment. But here, and along with a lot of parts of the world, bread and food represents life. If you don't have bread in the desert, you die. So when God provides bread for his people, he provides life for his people. This omer of manna that is kept, we actually read in Leviticus, is kept in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And this is the second place where we see bread talked about in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 24, right outside the Holy of Holies is the holy place. And in the holy place, which is in the temple, is a big table. And on the table, every week, the priests of Israel are to bring in 12 loaves of bread to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. These are called the bread of presence. The bread of presence. And each week, they would place it on the table, and they would leave it. It would be a sign of the ample provision of God for his people. The Lord had provided so much for those in whom he had covenanted himself to, that they had 12 loaves week after week after week to set before him. But at the end of the week, when the priests would bring 12 new loaves, 
the Lord commanded them to take that which was old and to eat it. Not because the priests were special and elite. They were set apart, surely, but what priests are are a representation of the entirety of the nation of Israel. So when the Lord shared his bread with them, he's not only providing life for his people, but he is giving them what is his. He's providing life from what is his. Which brings us to our text today. John 6, verse 25. Right prior to this, where you heard Danielle just read so excellently, by the way, babe, did a great job. Verses 22 through 24 are really a recap. They're setting the stage for us. And in the setting, what we know is that Jesus has fed the 5,000 with five barley loaves and two fish. He has walked on water in front of his disciples. And now we are, we are here on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. And in the final verse of 24, in the final part of the verse, it says, and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Those who have just seen the Lord do amazing things are seeking him, but they're seeking him in confusion because they saw the disciples enter into a boat on the Sea of Galilee, but they did not see Jesus with them. Because as we know, as we read, the Lord traveled on the water by foot. So these people, it's important to see that as they're coming into interaction with Jesus, they're wondering who this guy is, where he came from. And they're kind of confused about what he's saying. And so with that, I'm just going to get straight to the meat, straight to the the beginning of the dialogue, starting in verse 25. The text says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Immediately, those who have followed Jesus to Capernaum, asking him when he got there, are coming with false motives, with wrongful motives. Jesus sees this and reveals it. The first man, when asking when he arrived, all Jesus says is, you have come here not because you saw signs and believed, You've come here because you were hungry, you ate your full, and now you're hungry again. That's us so often. We get just enough to be full, and we step away from the Lord because we're feeling pretty good. And then when we need him again, we step a little closer, and we pay a little bit more attention to him. 
The second interaction of the crowd is after Jesus has said that not to work for bread that will perish, but to work for bread that will endure into eternity, and that will be given to you by the one who God has sent, specifically Jesus Christ. As soon as he says that this eternal bread is to be given by the Son of Man, is to be given by the one whom God has sent, the immediate response is, what do we have to do to work for it? What work do we have to do to to get what you're talking about? Jesus then corrects that. The only work you have to do, the work of God, is to believe in the one who he has sent. That's the work. And then lastly, the guy basically looks at Jesus and says, prove it. Pointing for some reason to Exodus 16 as as a sign of a miracle to, to compare Jesus to. These are people that probably saw him take five barley loaves and two fish and turn it into food for 5,000 people, and they're still saying, prove it. Jesus, time and time again, with each and every interaction, is taking the sidestepping of the crowd, and he's pointing back to himself. This entire section, this first move, is simply saying, God provides bread for his people. God provides bread. No one else. Nothing else. It's only ever been him. And these people come. And they want temporary bread when Jesus is offering eternal bread. They want to work for their temporary bread rather than accepting the free gift of Jesus of eternal bread. They want to be proved that Jesus is who he said he is rather than believe in which which they have already seen. So often, we do the very same thing. Jesus stands in front of us as the living bread and we choose to search for other things to fulfill ourselves, to satisfy ourselves, to numb ourselves. In anxiety, we run to screens rather than the Lord. We run to self-help books rather than his word. In feeling empty, we seek food and drink rather than what he's already provided in himself. And y'all, these Israelites have sympathy for him because they're probably asking, listen, Jesus, I hear you. God provides bread. We get it. But where's the bread now? They're looking around. They don't see any manna, white and flaky like coriander seed, tasting of wafers and honey. They don't see that. They don't taste it. How is God providing bread for his people now? And Jesus answers this very clearly starting in verse 35. And this brings us into the second move in which you've already heard the point and you'll hear it because Jesus himself says it. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet 
do not believe. And yet do not believe. So how is God providing bread for his people? Well, if bread should be equated with life, he's providing bread for his people. He's providing sustenance and life for his people through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, who himself calls the bread of life. Jesus Christ is the realization of the shadow that is given to us in Exodus 16 and Leviticus 24. And this is further solidified in, in verse, starting in verse 48, where it says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. This language can get pretty abstract when you just keep saying that Jesus is the bread, Jesus is the bread, and, and by the end you're like, what does that mean again? I know we've talked about it for 35 minutes, but what does that mean? And so just simply put, Jesus does not come from heaven holding bread to give to people that he likes to sustain them temporarily. Jesus does not come from heaven with a gigantic, beautifully wrapped present that says salvation at the side to hand off and then return to where he came from. Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the life. Jesus is our salvation. So what does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? It means that we have a chance. The response of the Jews present was that of grumbling. They began to grumble, thinking like, don't we know this guy? Aren't his mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, didn't we see him like grow up in cloth diapers? Because I think that's what they had then. And Jesus responds by what I just read, pointing back to their forefathers and saying, do you remember what the Lord did in providing for his people in the wilderness? That was great. But remember, they died. That bread was not the end of what God is doing in providing for his people. And if it is, we're in trouble. Yes, Jesus started providing for his people in Exodus 16, but he has all along hoped to send down a bread that will satisfy the hunger that Lewis talks about that is so deep-seated in all of us that it drives us mad. Additionally, this portion of the text ends um, by a, a really cool verse Um, In verse 40, or is it 51? Yeah, in verse 51, it says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In response to the grumblings against him, God is not only saying, yes, God provided for his people then, and now he's ultimately and most fully providing for his people now through his son, But he's saying, do you remember how when he provided for his people in in the wilderness, it was particular to a small group of Israelites in a particular place and time? 
he provided temporary food to a particular nation in a particular place in a particular time. Jesus is now providing eternal bread, eternal life through the living bread, Jesus Christ, for the life of the world. One commentator says this, and I I loved it. Caviar, like cake and other sweets, is for the few, but bread is for all. Jesus is not the caviar of life, the, the, the prime rib of life. He's not for the elite and the rich. He's for the life of the world. And y'all, this brings us into our our final portion of the text, starting in verse 52. And I got to warn you, this part of the text is just straight up weird. It is. Like when you read it, if you don't think it's weird, there's probably something wrong with you. I didn't want to say that, but I, I have to say it. Like, just listen to this. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. God has provided for his people in the wilderness by sending down manna from heaven. He sustained them in desolate places, in awkward transitions, in broken kingdoms. He provided bread to the nation through the priests and the Levitical practices of the day. Provided bread that was his out of the generosity of his heart. And now the Lord has sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the living bread, the eternal bread, the one that is life in himself to provide life to the world. In the way in which the Lord of the universe chooses to describe this is by way of saying that to belong to Jesus, to be united to Jesus, is to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Because if you don't, you don't belong to Jesus. There's no life in you. That's harsh. But what does it mean? We see the parallel. We see the kind of the Jesus is the bread, so we eat bread. Okay, I get it. We take communion. We get the piece of bread. We dip it in the juice. We take it. We get that. But what does he mean by the, by the fact that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Well, he further explains what he means in verse 56 when he concludes this thought by saying, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds me, he also will live because of me. 
Jesus didn't come down from heaven holding bread to give to people he liked. Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the life. Jesus is our salvation. So when you partake in the flesh and blood, all that is talking about is our intimate union with Jesus Christ. And how do we get the bread that's eternal? How do we get the bread that is imperishable, talked about throughout the entirety of this? To believe in the one who God has sent. To call upon the name of the Lord. By faith we feast on Jesus. By faith we belong to the one who so graciously gave himself for the unworthy. When you belong to Jesus in salvation, you are so utterly close to him that the only way to explain this intimacy is to say that we eat his flesh and we eat his blood. To say that it's like bread in our mouths and wine in our bellies. You abide in me and I in you, he says. In salvation, in being bound to Jesus forever, we are so utterly close to him that Jesus has to use terms that we've straight up never heard before. If you are hearing what I'm saying and you're thinking this is unlike anything I've ever heard, unlike anything I've ever read, it's because the way Jesus has related himself to his people is unlike anything that has ever taken place. It is truly one of a kind. Jesus is the bread of life, only him. God provides life for his people, only him. In the only way in which you experience that which Jesus has been talking about to this crowd this entire time is to believe in the one who God has sent. And when you believe in Jesus, you feast on him. You belong to him. You are so close that in verses 40 through 49, he says, you can't be lost by me. Because I've come to do the Father's will, and the Father's will is that I will lose none that he gave me. This is the best news you could ever hear, y'all. That feeling that you felt your whole life, that desire and hunger to be filled, to be full for once, to experience satisfaction maybe for the first time. I think Lewis was right when he, got, when he said that. Jesus, the bread of life, is the only one, the only one who can satisfy our hunger. And y'all, we are far more hungry than we realize. We are starving. We want this so bad. We feel it. It is so close, but yet so far. We numb ourselves with, with the nothingness that our society celebrates. Relationships, money, achievement. We even take good things and make them bad. But still we are left hungry. Are you hungry? Do you want to finally be full? I do. 
Evanston Bible Fellowship, in conclusion, hear me. The Lord has made a place for you at the table. The Lord, Jesus Christ, the bread of life, has made a place for you at the table. Come and feast. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done in your Son, Jesus Christ, and what you continue to do by your Spirit. Lord, we just celebrate today the good news that though we are hungry, you have provided a way to make us full in your Son, Jesus Christ, the living bread, the one who is better than all that came before, the one who is the fulfillment of the shadows that are introduced in the Old Testament, Lord. We celebrate the good news that there is hope for those that belong to Jesus, that we are held close to him. And Lord, I pray for this room, for the hearts of the people here, that they would be changed, that they would hear what you want them to hear. Lord, we love you, but we need your help loving you more. Please help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.